in your Bibles to the book of John. The book of John. This week I had uh, intended to continue on in our series um, in the Ten Commandments and continue on uh, with the next commandment, uh, you shall not steal. And we will get there next week, Lord willing. Uh, but this, uh, this Sunday, uh, just about halfway through the week, I was studying the, the passage on uh, do not steal, and I thought there's so much here, uh, and, I, and I wanted to save it uh, for next week. And so I decided to do something a little bit different, a little bit risky this morning. All right? So I decided, many of you know, that uh, every once in a while on Sunday nights, about, I don't know, once a year, once or twice a year, something like that, I'll do a pastor's heart sermon for you on Sunday nights. And it's, uh, it's, not, really, it's not really a, a sermon of that week. It's just something that I've been thinking about and developing over the past month, month and a half, two months or so, stuff that the Lord is dealing with me with, and that I thought would be helpful to share to you. And they have gone over pretty well on Sunday nights. Of course, as you know, Sunday nights are a little bit more, in, uh, you know, a little bit more intimate, uh, a little bit more uh, relaxed, and so I've never done one on Sunday morning, and this morning I'm going to try one on Sunday morning. So I wanted to come out of John 3 this morning, and uh, just in our typical fashion, I want to kind of come down out of the pulpit uh, today. And just, uh, just discuss John 3 with you as we think about uh, just a, a, uh, some of the things that the Lord has been teaching me uh, in the past few months. So John 3 is very familiar with you guys. Uh, everybody knows John 3. John 3.16, probably the, the most known verse uh, of any of the Bible. It's, it's the verse that you all learn in Bible school. It's the verse that, that maybe, uh, maybe you see athletes uh, ride on their cleats or uh, wear on their face paint. Uh, this is a very familiar verse, and I want to kind of come at it today um, from, from maybe a, a new perspective for you. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever seen something and been amazed by it? Maybe, maybe several of you. We live in a day where, uh, just in my lifetime, the technological uh, revolution has occurred. So I can remember the time where you used dial-up internet. So... Uh, that shows how old I am. And many of y'all are like, what's dial-up internet? When you get my age, you'll know that, all right? That, that's about right. You, you guys have seen some things in your life. Many of you have lived and, and seen uh, the evolution of all these technologies that we use today. And now I feel like I'm living in the year 3000. The other day I ordered Chick-fil-A on my phone and just pulled through the drive-thru and they handed it to me. I mean, it was amazing, right? It's just uh, these, these, these uh, technological things that have come about that are so amazing. And yet... And yet, we have many inventions in our home that the first time that, we, that, that they were ever used, it shook the world. And yet, we treat them as commonplace. A good example of this is the light bulb, the common light bulb. Uh, can you imagine being in the room with Thomas Edison when he invents this light bulb and it finally works? Miss Libya shared the story, uh, this, this story before of the little boy after they made the light bulb and, and they were going to test it and he had to take it up the stairs and he fell and broke it. Like that would be me. I'm that little boy. I would have broken that first light bulb. But can you imagine being in that room and you see that light bulb click on for the first time and you see this technological advancement and you know this right here is going to change the world. I imagine, I imagine that your wonder and amazement lead to you treating it with care and you don't treat it as a casual thing. Yet, for many of us, when we come to the scriptures, you and I have grown up in church. We've read this verse. Many of us have this verse memorized. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Maybe, maybe you know that. But the other day it hit me in a new way. And I wanted to share it with you. So before we consider this passage, before we consider this chapter, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful, that it is authoritative. We believe that it is inerrant, that it is perfect without flaw. And not only that, but Father, your word is able to make us wise to salvation. And so we pray this morning as we handle your word that, uh, Father, in our weakness, you would be made strong. We pray that in, in, in our ignorance, Lord, that you would make us wise. We thank you so much that uh, your word is able to do these things in our life. And we pray, uh, Father, that you would help us as we seek to glorify you in the way that we uh, treat you and the things that you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 3. A great story. I mean, uh, the, the writer of John is, is uh, John himself is, 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 has such a way with telling stories. And we begin John chapter 3 with, there was a certain religious man, a leader of the Pharisees, and he goes to see Jesus at night. He goes to see Jesus at night. Maybe you've heard the, the rule. Maybe your parents told you this rule, that nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Don't go out after 2 a.m. And yet, here goes Nicodemus going out after 2. Why would you go out after 2 a.m.? Why would you go out in the middle of the night? Well, you typically, you're up to no good, right? And yet, Nicodemus is not up to no good. Nicodemus just knows that the crowd that he runs around, the religious uh, elites that he goes around with, they would not be seen talking genuinely with Jesus. But Nicodemus has questions. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says this, Teacher, we know, we know that you are from God, or else you wouldn't be able to do the works that you're able to do. We know that you're from God. Could you imagine the internal turmoil that is going on in Nicodemus's life. Nicodemus is a part of the Pharisees. He's a part of the, the highest of high, the religious elite. I imagine we have a, we have a view of the Pharisees as if they were, um, they were power-hungry, non-believers, haters of God. And yet these people deep down, most of them began their, their studies as a Pharisee because they loved the word of God. They loved God himself. The problem became when their love of God became a means to an ends. Their study of the scripture became a means to the ends. The end was the power and the authority. And I imagine Nicodemus got into the business of being a Pharisee, not because he just wanted power and authority, but possibly way back when he truly had a desire to know God and his word. And here, God walks before him and he's troubled. He's troubled because him and his friends, they look at this man and they don't see him as God in the flesh. Instead, they see him as a threat to their authority, a threat to everything that they know, their worldview. He's a threat. And so uh, they see the people going after him and, and they're shocked and they're appalled. They believe, they believe that this man is usurping God's own glory. But something in Nicodemus says there's got to be more. There's got to be more than Jesus being a huckster. There's got to be something else. And so he comes in the night and he comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, teacher, I know, we know that you're from God. You wouldn't be able to do these works if you were not. And he asks him a question that's been bothering him, that's been, uh, that's been gnawing at him on the inside. He says, Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thinks and says, how is this possible? Can man enter into his mother's womb again and be born again? And Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
And that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus says, how can these things be? I don't understand what it means to be born of the Spirit, to be born from above. I don't understand that. And Jesus chastises him and says, are you not a teacher of Israel? You're a teacher of Israel. You're supposed to know so you can teach others. And he says in verse 11, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Eternal life. Let me tell you why John 3.16 hit me. In a, in, a, in a new way the other day. Uh, so um, before we go to bed every night, Knox and I, and, and we get together as a family, and we, uh, we, have, uh, we, we read a Bible story. Most of the time it's a Bible story. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we're trying to get him to bed real quick, and he wants me to make up a story about a monster truck. So it's either monster trucks or Jesus at night, right? That's about right with a, with a three-year-old. And so we have a, a story, and we read the story, and then we sing a song, and, uh, and uh, it's usually whatever Knox wants to sing, but typically we, ha- we tell him we want to sing a song about Jesus, all right? So, uh, you know, he, he really likes singing Rocky Top, but at night it's time to sing about Jesus, so we pull him back in, right? Uh, and then we say a prayer. Uh, and then he has his questions, and we go through just a children's catechism of questions and answers about the faith, and uh, then he memorizes scripture. And so uh, his first scripture was Genesis 1-1. And it wasn't about a week, and he had Genesis 1-1 down pretty well. And then he memorized Matthew 22:37, And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It wasn't about a week. He had that one down. And I thought, dang, he's, he's getting pretty good here. So we went to the next scripture, and it was John 3:16. I didn't think anything of it other than it's just the next scripture. But it was my night to deal with him. And he got Matthew 22:37 right. And he, when he gets something right, he says, next question, next question. I want the next question. And so I said, all right, here you go, new question. And I pulled out the book, and I read, For God so loved the world. And he repeated, For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. And he repeated that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And I heard it almost almost like I heard it for the first time. That this verse, this, this nutshell of what God has done for us, this nutshell of what, of what God and His divine mercy has shed His love for us, that, that I have devoted my life to, that has changed my life. I remember the first time that I heard that when I was six and the, and the change that it made in me when I said, that God loved me. And that God did not want me to perish and did not want me to, to forever be cut off from him. So he sent his only son. That change that happened to me at six, it was, it was bright and fresh for me, explaining it for the first time to my three-year-old. As we look at this, I was convicted first off. I was, uh, whew. So what pastors' uh, hearts do. We, uh, we get a little emotional. So I was convicted first because 
how, how do we not read this and, and get emotional? How do we not read this and it, and it hit us in the, in the gut, right? How do we not read this and the love of God so overwhelm us that we are broken? I was convicted at the times where I rolled my eyes when I saw John 3.16 uh, written on an athlete's sneaker, right? Oh, he knows that verse, right? And I forget that this is the very essence of the gospel, the, the good news. And I was taken aback by this because this is the love of God, the beauty of it. And I had treated it as commonplace. But as we look at John 3.16, John 3.16 can't stand alone. Jesus is making an argument here to Nicodemus. He's making an argument that you and I must remember and must take, uh, take internalize because it's as important as it is for us when we were children as it will be for us until we walk into the presence of Jesus. And so he's telling us a few things, and the argument doesn't begin with John 3.16. If you look at the beginning of John 3.16, we see a three-letter word. That three-letter word is for, right? And any time in Scripture when you see the word for, you want to figure out why it's there, right? What is, what, why are you saying for, for? What's the purpose behind it? In order to find the purpose of this for statement, we have to go back to the next one in verse 14, when he says, As Moses was lifted up, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. And we find kind of the argument that's going on here. Jesus looks at a teacher of Israel and says, you're familiar with the story of Moses and the serpents. And you remember how uh, Moses, uh, God told him to craft a bronze serpent and lift that serpent up. And whoever would just look to it, if they were bitten by a serpent, they would be saved. And he says, this is what God is doing again. God is doing this again in a greater fashion. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then he tells us this. He tells us first, he tells us, he tells us how. How is this possible? How can God give us eternal life? He tells us God loved us in this way. This is, this is to show how God loved us. That he gave. Gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How did, did God give us eternal life? When it comes to eternal life in human beings, we are like water and oil. We do not mix. We have forfeited eternal life. Our forefathers, Adam and Eve, walked with God in the garden, enjoyed a, 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 a life that was to be eternal, and yet because of sin, because of the hardness of the heart, because of pride, because of greed, because of arrogance, they gave up eternal life. And so how can it be that you and I could enjoy this blessing of eternal life again? John tells us, Jesus tells us, God loved us. God loved us so much that when we sinned and ran away from him, when we in our arrogance looked at God and said, we don't need you, when God in his creation power commanded the wind and the waves and fashioned the planets and the animals and the beasts of the sea and the birds of the air and the trees and the forest and the entire cosmos, when he said, go here and they did it, and then he looked at man, and man responded, no. When we, in our arrogance, responded to the supreme God of the universe with no, he loved us anyway. Our rightful, our rightful position in that was a position where we earned judgment. We earned wrath. 
we had sinned against God. And God, at being perfectly just, could have put us away, and mankind would have been hopelessly lost. Yet Jesus tells Nicodemus, one late night in Jerusalem, he tells him, God loved us in this way, that he sent his son, his only son, the perfect one, that whoever would believe on him will not perish. How does he do it? By sending his son. By, by the sending of the perfect one of Israel. Now why would the son have to come? The eternal Godhead, uh, Jesus the son, God the son, why would he have to come? What, what, does he, what, is he, what purpose does he serve? Well, we have a simple argument here, and that is, one, man has sinned, therefore man has to pay for that sin. Yet, we have sinned against God, and God is eternally great. Therefore, the only way that you and I can pay for the sin that we have committed is if we pay a payment that is worthy of the one we have sinned against. The problem is, is that none of us in here could ever pay completely for just our own sins. We have so sinned against God, and that sin debt is so great that you and I cannot offer an eternal, an eternal satisfaction for that. So it must be a man who pays, but no man can pay. Only God could offer eternal satisfaction. So what does God do? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, puts on human flesh. He incarnates among us. He walks among us. He becomes a baby. He is born in Bethlehem. He lives a perfect life. He, he in all ways, does right. He never fails. He never thinks an errant thought. He never does a wrong action. He takes our sins upon the cross, and he dies for us. Furthermore, he is resurrected from the dead, defeating death, defeating Hades, defeating sin. And here... Here, this son came so that we would not perish but have life. That tells us how, but verse 18 continues the argument. Verse 18 tells us that whoever believes in him, being Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The only Son of God. Jesus said, I didn't. Whoever believes in me is not condemned. That word condemn, the, the root of that is, is, is damn, to have damnation, to, to, uh, to have a penalty that they must pay. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me, that condemnation is removed. This is echoed in Romans 8, 1, where Paul says, for now there are no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No penalty to be paid. The penalty has already been paid. But Jesus reminds us that whoever does not believe is condemned already. We are born condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then in verse 19, he reminds us why. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. This is the argument that Jesus offers. Nicodemus comes at night in the darkness, and Jesus tells him, God loved us in this way that he sent his only son to die. And if you would believe in him, if you would trust in him, if you would reject your sin, if you would turn from that condemnation that you are rightly under, and if you would take hold of the Savior who gives his life for you, who is lifted up, uh, that all may see, who takes upon our sins, upon his shoulders on the cross, if we would trust in him, we would not perish. 
perishing is the natural inclination of mankind. That we are born perishing. And yet, if we trust in Him, that condemnation is removed. But here's the judgment. Jesus says, The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Imagine this is, this is making an impact on Nicodemus in the middle of the night, sitting around candlelight, and Jesus is telling him, men love the darkness rather than the light. The light has come into the world, but men love their sin. Men cling to their sin. And Jesus is looking at Nicodemus and he's reminding him, oh, the Savior is infinitely better. That our sin does not offer eternal life. Our sin promises eternal life. You can live forever young if you follow after your sins, if you get what you can right now, if you take as many of your desires and you meet them right now, if you can have the right now, then life will be abundant. But Jesus says that is a lie. And the check one day will come. And one day all payments will be made. Jesus reminds us that the only way to have eternal life is through belief in his son, trust in his son. You know this message. You've heard this message. You know this verse. It's not new to you. But is it commonplace to you? Is it, is it ordinary? Is it been lowered down to, uh, to be almost vulgar, common? This is a message that changes lives. This is a message that men and women have died for. This is a message that the, uh, that the church fathers gave their lives to bring on to you. This is a, a message that your parents gave to you, that your church, uh, when you were a child, proclaimed to you. This is a, a message that, that transforms and inspires. This is a message that truly gives eternal life. Not some life just that lives forever in the future. No, a life that begins now an eternal life, an abundant life. This is the only hope of salvation. So the question for us is, has it made an impact on your life? One, have you trusted in Jesus for this salvation? Or are you trusting in Jesus in name alone? One of my great fears is what's found in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, many will come to me on that day and they will say, Lord, Lord. Did we not cast out demons in your name and prophesy in your name and do all these good works in your name? And were we not members at Midway Baptist Church in your name? And did we not serve the community in your name? And did we not do VBS in your name? And did we not do all these things in your name? And what is Jesus' response to them? Depart from me, you workers of evil. I don't know you. What was the issue? The issue was not that they did not do things. It's easy to do things. It's easy to come on Sunday morning. It's easy to, to come on Sunday night and Wednesday night. It's easy to be a part. But do you believe and do you trust? Has your heart been transformed by this same Spirit that Jesus proclaims? Have you been born again? Born of the Spirit. Born from above. Do you love your Savior more than you love your sin? It's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to us because every day our sin buys for our attention. It wants to be first place in our life. And every day as a believer, we battle to move that sin 
away from us and to set Jesus as the king on our hearts. Do we love Jesus? Have we trusted in him? Today is the day of salvation. But more so than have we trusted in Jesus, if we can confidently say, yes, I have trusted in Jesus. Yes, I understand the message. Yes, I have been born again. Then the question for us is, how has this message changed your daily life? How has it changed the way that you talk to people? How has it changed the way that you interact with your family and with your friends and with your neighbors? Here's my child in my home. And at three years old, I gave him the gospel message, John 3.16, for the first time. And I realized this, this is why I had a child. To raise him in the Lord. Why, why do you have neighbors? Why do you have coworkers? Why do you have friends? You have them so that you can lift Jesus up. That whoever would look to him would be saved. Don't we want the best for our neighbors? Don't we want the best for our kids? Don't we want the best for our friends and our family? And how many times have we gotten a new phone? How many times have we gotten a new, uh, a new accessory? A new lawnmower? We found a, a new business in town. We found a new restaurant. And we're quick to share that. Because we want, we want to be known as the people who point other people to good things. But good things pale in comparison to the great thing. The Son of God becoming man, dying for us, saving us from our sins. God help us as we go to our neighbors. God help us as we go to our, our, our children and our friends. God help us as we bring his message because this is the judgment. People love the darkness more than they love the light. This is the judgment. There is a time where the last trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and the judgment will come and Jesus will judge the wicked and the, and the righteous. And you and I, you and I may make it through the judgment. But God forgive us if our neighbors don't. God forgive us if our children don't. God forgive us if this community goes to hell, but Midway Baptist Church goes to heaven. No, God has placed us here with a message that works. A cure for the divine cancer that is eating away the world. And God help us if we hoard that. No, may we freely give. This morning, we serve a God who freely gave His only begotten Son. So this morning, we freely give the message to every man, woman, and child because we know that God is a God of salvation. God is a God who saves. And this morning, I want to invite you into the salvation God offers. And I want to invite you into the ministry of reconciliation that He has invited us in. This morning, we serve a God who saved. So let's get busy telling others about Him. Let's share the message with our neighbors and our friends and our families. Let's see the power of God work in a mighty way that revolutionizes lives, that saves marriages, that saves families, that saves communities. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, this morning that you would help us to trust in this word. Father, that you would help us to share this message 
that you have given us. We pray this morning as Jesus is lifted up that people would look to him and be saved. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 312, let's say.